All right, hey everybody. Uh, let me give a warm welcome to all of our campuses, East, Effingham, Downtown, Midway, Statesboro. All of you who are here in the room here in Henderson, all of you who are watching us on the live stream because you're too far away to get here, man, we love you. Uh, we're glad you're here. Now, if you're local and you're watching us on the live stream, that is a great place to start, but please don't get stuck there. Uh, man, your faith is gonna go to another level Man, when you get in fellowship with other believers, and so honestly, the best thing for you is to be with us if you can. Uh, man, that personal connection is just vital to your spiritual growth. So glad to have you on the live stream. Man, come and join us in person. You'll like it better. Which is why this fall, we're rolling out a new strategy to get everybody connected to our church. And we're going to call this thing Growth Track. Man, we're going to be holding a class every Wednesday and every weekend the first four weeks of every month to make it easy for anybody who wants to get involved to get involved at our church. Uh, starting in September, every week, there will be a growth track class. Uh, this will be like the on-ramp for people who are ready to take that next step. Uh, this class is gonna get you team ready uh, to serve in our church and help you find a group. And man, we want every member of our church to take this class. Does anybody know what the problem is with asking everybody in our church to take this class? There are 10,000 of us in this community who are part of Compassion Christian who need to take this class. And I just can't imagine how we can cram everybody through these classes. So in August, I'm going to take us all through Growth Track in a four-week message series that we're calling All In. Man, we're going to ask everybody to be here every week. Uh, if you're a member of Compassion Christian or you're in a life group, we want you to sign up and let us know that. And if you're not, we want to give you an opportunity to get in one of those groups or to join our church. And man, if you're serving, we want to know whether you are and, and where you are. Uh, and man, we, we want to help you get on board if you're not serving right now. Now, we're going to work super hard to get all 10,000 of us through Growth Track in August. And let me tell you, that's going to take a lot of energy. And to make space for that, we're going to hit pause this year on a ministry that falls right in the middle of Growth Track. And that is our Pivot Men's Conference. Now, let's all say, oh, no, come on. I like that. I like that. I love Pivot. Man, I love Pivot. Uh, Bill McGee and our men's ministry team have done an amazing job of ramping up an encouraging weekend for the men of our church and the men of our whole community uh, and done it every year for the last nine years in a row. But this year, we're going to hit pause on Pivot so that we can get everybody through growth track which we believe is the highest priority right now for the discipleship of our church. Then next August, we're going to celebrate 10 years of pivot. We're going to gather godly men together to encourage them and then scatter them out across the country to make a difference. I love pivot. I believe it's the most encouraging, racially diverse men's ministry in our region, but we're going to hit it hard in 2020. This year though, we want to focus on getting everybody all in, all connected, all making a difference and all on that growth track that will get every compassion Christian growing as a disciple of Jesus. Now, while we're talking about helping new people in three weeks, we're going to launch one of the best opportunities you will ever have uh, to bring your one here to church. And that's for our series called At the Movies. Now, this series last year brought more guests on our campuses than anything we've ever done in the past. And I'm hoping this year it will be even better. Now, I don't have to tell you that every great story is a redemption story. And so we're going to do what Jesus did. We're going to take some of the redemption stories in our culture 
and then I'm going to teach from the scripture to show how those values, biblical values, actually make these movies so appealing. On the other hand, there is a lie in every movie you have ever seen. Can I hear amen? amen. And we're going to train you to spot it so you can talk to your kids about it and talk to your grandkids about it. Now, we're going to use four movies from our culture to spotlight these biblical values in a surprising way. I think your friends will be kind of amazed at what we're going to do with this. And we're going to repeat the best, uh, best movie that we did last year. Uh, just for those of you who can't live without reruns, we, we've got something for you too, all right? Now, this is going to be great teaching. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I want to encourage you to start asking your friends right now to come. Just make a list of all the friends that you want to invite and start praying that they'll come and they'll meet Jesus right here at, this, at the movie series. Now... Today, if you're new to Compassion, welcome to Endgame. Uh, Endgame is a verse-by-verse -verse study through the book of 1 Thessalonians, which is a little epistle in the back of your New Testament that the Apostle Paul wrote to a new church in northern Greece. He loved this church so much, and this church was so new that he just felt compelled to help them grow spiritually, so he writes this little letter to that church in A.D. 51 to encourage them. And let me tell you, that letter has been encouraging people ever since. Now, if you were with us last week, you remember that he told them they were doing super well, they were growing strong, but they still had some areas where they needed to grow. And in chapter 4, he identifies what those areas are. He tells them four specific areas where new believers need to get strong and stay strong, and so do we. So here's number one. A priority assignment for every believer, you pleasing God. Now look at how Paul starts chapter four. Turn to chapter four. Uh, this is uh, on page 897 if you're going to use the Bible we provide for everybody. Uh, he starts out the chapter with these words. Finally, brothers, we instructed you on how to live in order to please God. Everybody say, please God. Please God. Now, friends, if you have a saving relationship with Jesus, pleasing God should be the driving priority of your life. Now, man, in the past, you may not have even given a rip about God, but it's different now. I mean, now that you know he's your creator, now that you know how much he's blessed you, now that you know that even though you were a prolific, dirty, rotten sinner, his love for you was so strong that he sent his son Jesus to die a substitutionary death and pay the penalty for your sins and restore your relationship with God. <coughs> Listen, if you actually believe that God saved you and blessed you, when you know you didn't deserve any of it, it only follows that you should live your new life to please him. Amen? Amen. Now, friends, this is so important because you will dishonor God and you will discourage people from ever getting to know Jesus if you don't get your head right about this. You know, a few years ago, I was watching this late night interview show and the host was interviewing a professional athlete who had just been diagnosed HIV positive. And this athlete was a lovable guy. It was terrible news. Everybody was just heartbroken for him. And during the interview, they eventually got around to how he got infected. And the host is like, was it a blood transfusion? Uh, was a team doctor made a mistake? I mean, was it a bad, bad, what, what, what was it? And he just smiled and said, no. He said, you know, I was living that bachelor's life and I just slept with a bunch of different women and one of them was infected and that's how I got infected. And then the host said, you know, I was just talking to my pastor about this, and I know you love God too, and I told my pastor, I just can't understand why bad things like this happen to such good people. Now hit pause here for a minute. 
And just think about what he said. This guy claims to be a follower of Jesus, but he can't understand why the wages of sin have come down like an anvil on a serial adulterer. Really. Then a couple nights later, the same guy, the same host, attacks a national Christian leader for suggesting that the solution for HIV and AIDS and other tr sexually transmitted diseases is not safe sex, because there ain't no such thing as safe sex, but sexual purity, abstinence until marriage. This Christian leader was stating what you hear at our church all the time, that the only safe sex in the world is the sex that you have with your spouse when neither one of y'all are having sex with anybody else. Amen? This Christian leader dared to suggest that sexual purity is the answer to sexually transmitted diseases and the only safe sex. And this host mocked him, mocked that value. I mean, this host is an alleged follower of Jesus and he closed his show that night by saying that sexual purity until marriage is totally unrealistic. The only hope is education and information. That's the only hope. Not Jesus, not forgiveness, not obedience to God's word. The only hope is education and information. And said goodnight and walked off the stage to a rousing ovation from everybody in the audience. Now, on one hand, this host is talking about his pastor and loving God and all that. But apparently he has no actual commitment to pleasing God. Because in his very next breath, he mocks what God's word says and rejects the instructions from God about sexual purity that are clearly set out in God's word. Now, friends, that's the kind of confusing culture we live in. And that's the kind of damage that we do when we as believers live to please ourselves rather than God. Now, Jesus said you are the salt of the earth. He didn't say you might be, could be, on a good day you are. He says you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it loses its flavor? Can you make it salty again? What's the answer? No. It will just be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Friends, if followers of Jesus have any hope of pleasing God and having a positive, transformative effect on a culture that is literally ripping itself apart because of destructive sin patterns, then pleasing God is going to mean walking the walk and living a distinctive life in this culture. And you know, we had a great high school camp last week. Awesome. Uh, man, over 28 students made commitments to Jesus. Uh, many of them were baptized right there at, at Milligan College in the swimming pool with their small groups all around them. It was awesome. One of our pastors did a workshop at that camp. You know what the title was? Ask Dave Anything. Anybody want to guess what was the number one question? Number one question. Over 50% of the questions were, what does the Bible say about LGBTQ question, issues? Because that's a red hot issue in our culture. And apparently our students are hungry to hear what God's word has to say about it because they're here in the world side all the time, which is opposed to what Jesus taught. And so thank God our students are hungry to hear what Jesus has to say about this. And apparently so were the believers in Thessalonica 
who lived in the Roman Empire, which was the most sexually depraved culture you could possibly imagine. And so this is going to be a thing. Sexual purity is going to be a thing for these believers. And Paul wanted them to know, and he wants us to know, that there are two requirements to please God. One is belief. You've got to believe in God. You've got to believe what he says is true. You've got to believe in God. And the other is behavior that is the obvious outcome of what you believe. Now, friends, if we're going to walk the walk and please God, it is not enough to say that you believe in God. The brother of Jesus said that demons believe in God. Scares them to death when they think about it. We have to live distinctive lives. I mean conspicuously distinctive lives if we want to please the Lord. And that's what Paul is going to address in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So get your Bible open. Y'all ready to go? Let's dig in. Uh, verse 1 says, finally, brothers, we instructed you on how to live in order to please God. As in fact, you are living. Way to go. You guys are awesome. Verse 3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Everybody say sanctified. Now, we hit on this last week. Sanctified means that you are set apart for a holy purpose. And, dude, you see yourself that way. I mean, sanctified literally means God reaches into the world and separates for himself people who put their faith in Jesus. You belong to God. You are his people. And that's how you see yourself. All right? You do not see yourself as some random evolutionary product. You don't see yourself as just another mammal on this planet. Dude, God created you with a special purpose, redeemed you by the blood of Jesus so that he could set you apart for a holy purpose. And that purpose was to please God. Now, Paul gives us three specific examples of how we can please God in this chapter. A vital area for pleasing God is your sexual purity. Everybody say sexual purity. Sexual now, you can go tell all your friends you talked about sex in church and it was okay, all right? Look at verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. And then look at the text. He contrasts the way the followers of Jesus think about sex with people who don't give a rip about pleasing God. He says, you want to control your body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans, these poor folks who don't even know God. Now, friends, I don't have to tell you that we live in a culture that more and more is being characterized by the kind of passionate lust that shows no desire to please God. I mean, the Me Too movement is a rising force in our culture, and thank God for it, where women in America are finally saying no more to the sexual abuse in our culture that's driven by what? Passionate lust. I mean, thank God women in our country are saying, that's it. I am not going to be sexually manipulated to get a job or keep a job. No more of that. But why is this even a thing? Because we live in a culture that devalues pleasing God and is obsessed with pleasing self. How? Through passionate lust. I mean, just watch the news, man. We have married entertainers on trial looking at prison today. Because they're having sex with underage girls. Why? Passionate lust. I mean, you've got to know. You, your head can't be in the sand this deep. You've got to know that middle and high school students in our community are getting such confusing messages at school, sadly, sometimes at home, about gender and sexual purity that they are now being invited by their friends to 
try everything parties. Because if there's any sexual angst in their life, you know what they're told? Try everything. Just try everything. See what works for you. They're not giving any direction, no discipline, no call for self-control. Just try it all. Consequently, there are students in our schools who get together and they try every sensual thing because our dark culture encourages that. And there are so few voices that are encouraging them, as Paul said, to be holy and honorable and please God through their sexuality. And this ain't new. <laughs> you know, this is not new. My mama was here last weekend. And we got to chatting, you know, at home over something. And she told me that when my brother and I were in middle school, one of her friends berated her for being so strict with us. You know what horrible thing she did? She demanded that we live on a curfew. And, and she was intentional about setting up guardrails for us. Basically, my mom was guilty of paying attention to where we went and who we went with and what we did there. And so this lady just berated her. You're too strict. You should let those boys live. We let our girls go out and go to the beach and go with everybody. You need to loosen up, Ernestine. That's my mama's name, Ernestine. That's why she's so mean. <laughs> now, what that mother did not know, but soon found out because of a string of unplanned pregnancies and later divorce after divorce after divorce, is that her daughters were two of the most sexually promiscuous students in our school. And their parents were clueless. And let me tell you, those girls are my age. One of them's in my class and still paying a sky-high price for unrestrained lust. You know, I remember trying to negotiate with my mom. And my mom is like the United States government. She does not negotiate. <laughs> you know, she, she just doesn't negotiate, right? Uh, I tried to negotiate with my mama about a curfew or having a girl over at the house and she wasn't going to be there or something like that. And she just wasn't buying. I mean, she's just not buying, right? And so finally, you know, I'm trying to guilt her into it. I'm trying to appeal to her. I'm saying, Mama, don't you trust me? <laughs> she looked me right in the face and said, no. No, I don't trust you. I don't even trust myself. That's why God put guardrails in our life to keep us from flying off the cliff. Amen? Amen. Now listen, man, if pleasing God means nothing to you, then there will be no biblical values that create guardrails in your life and regret is on the horizon for you, will stalk you all your life. I was reading an article this week about another professional athlete who recently had a big win. And you know, he actually got to talking about his relationship with his ex-wife. Because a few years ago, they went through just a humiliating divorce because of his repetitive pattern of sexual sin and adultery. And his wife, ex-wife, is still in his life, thank God, because they have two little boys. And he was just expressing gratitude that he and his wife had a congenial relationship for the sake of those two children. And then you know what he said? National publication. He said, but regret for those horrible decisions I made are going to be with me for the rest of my life. And he's right about that. Friends, we live in a world that encourages people, encourages people to just pursue your appetites with no restraint. Be a slave of passionate lust. That's really living. But you know, followers of Jesus are called by God. Say it with me, everybody. Called by God to live a life of moral purity. So, 
Let's just unpack chapter four. Keep your Bible open. Open it up. Put it in your lap. Keep the phone on. Turn the shut off thing down. We're just going to go through this phrase by phrase by phrase so that you cannot miss what the Lord is going to try to tell you today. Because friends, I'm telling you, some of us miss it. You know, I had a friend, I had a buddy who told me that he grew up in church. Grew up in church, never heard adultery mentioned as a sin until he moved to Tony Evans Church out in Dallas when he was in his 40s. You know why? Because every man in that church was dirty from the pastor down. Adulterers living like the world and calling themselves followers of Jesus. That's what he told me. And now my buddy is grieving the harm that was done to him by the compromise of the allegedly spiritual leaders of his church who had no intention of pleasing God. And then he shares with me the gratitude that he felt when Dr. Evans finally, you know, told him the truth, called him to step up. Now, maybe, of you, maybe some of y'all here have never heard what God's will is about sexual purity. Consequently, you just didn't know that will not be true tomorrow. <laughs> it will not be true tomorrow. Paul's going to make sure of that. So look with me at verse 3. He says in verse 3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Now notice, who is giving this command? Who is it? This ain't a cam thing. This ain't a culture thing. This ain't a pastor thing. This is not a compassion Christian thing. This is God's will, amen? amen. God's will. Now you know people condescendingly will just say sometime, well, pastor, you're entitled to your opinion. I just disagree. This is not Paul's opinion. This is the word of God. Now, you can disagree with it if you want to. You have that opportunity. But please, just don't claim to be a follower of Jesus if you don't give a rip about pleasing God. In fact, Paul says in verse 8, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gave you his Holy Spirit. I mean, I can just hear that late night host saying right now, oh, Pastor Cam, come on, bro. It's different now. Paul just didn't understand how it is today. Really? Really? You know, Thessalonica was in Greece. And one of the most famous Greek statesmen and philosophers was a guy named Demosthenes. And let me, let me share with you a quote from Demosthenes in 346 B.C. that describes the culture that he helped build that the Apostle Paul is addressing. Demosthenes, D-man says, uh, <laughs> we have mistresses for our enjoyment. We have concubines to serve our needs, and we have wives to bear us legitimate children. Mistresses, that's the girlfriends. Uh, concubines, these are the sex slaves, prostitutes. Of course, the girlfriends are too. I mean, everybody's trading something for something, right? And then we have wives, so we'll have heirs that we can leave our estate to. Does this sound like ancient history to you? This sounds like the guys who inspired the Me Too movement to me right here in America. Now, in that kind of culture, notice what God requires of us. Sexual purity. L look at verse 3. It is God's will that you should avoid sexual immorality. Now, friends, this means that when you say yes to pleasing God, you're going to say no to the appetites of the flesh. And I mean in a lot of ways. Dude, if you say yes to a healthy body... That means you say no to certain kinds of food. I was going to say carbs, but I didn't want to out everybody right there, all right? You say no to certain kinds of foods. You say no to amounts of certain kinds of food, right? If you say yes to passing a tough chemistry test, you say no to hanging out at the coffee shop late at night every night. 
If you say yes to building a $1,000 emergency fund, you say no to impulse spending. And if you're going to say yes to God's noble dream for your life, his dream for your life, you will have to say no to sexual immorality. And let me tell you something, friends. God does not leave much room for confusion about what he means by sexual immorality. In fact, Jesus defined the only appropriate place for sexual fulfillment for us so we would know in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus said, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning of the world, the creator made them male and female, and the creator said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is the definition of Jesus for marriage. This is the arena where you can have total sexual freedom and please God at the same time. Now just imagine, imagine this square is a playing field. And this square right here is where you can have all the sexual freedom in the world. As long as you are on this playing field with somebody you're married to. Married to. Total freedom in the context of a man and woman who are married. Now, any sexual activity outside of this box, God considers sexual sin. Any activity, single, married, whatever, outside of this environment is sexual immorality in the mind of Jesus. Now, again, you can disagree with Jesus if you want to, but that's what Jesus says. Now, last week, uh, at camp, one of the big questions our students asked was, what about the Supreme Court? Ruling that, you know, in America, we can change. Put that back up. We can change, you know, the players in this box. You know what the answer to that question is? Followers of Jesus answer to a court far above the United States Supreme Court. And every single one of us is going to answer to the same judge that the nine Supreme Court justices are going to answer to. And Paul says, please him. Now, can I just express my love for anybody here today who is sexually involved in any situation outside of this playing field? Love you. Love you. So glad you're here. We have the highest hopes that, men, you will find a life-changing relationship with Jesus here, you know, that will bring you real joy, lasting joy, lifelong joy. Man, our church exists to serve you, to love you, to help you, to help you think through any changes you need to make. But, I mean, we're that kind of church that loves everybody and refuses to lie to anybody. And our highest hope is that pleasing God will become more important to you than anything else because then you will discover the joy and peace that comes, man, when you align yourself with God's will and then each of you will learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. And friends, can I just tell you, this call to sexual purity is the same call for everybody. Single, married, everybody. I had a great conversation <clears throat> with a friend from one of our other campuses this week. He told me about the hard life he was living when his goal, his goal was to fulfill every passionate lust. He said, Cam, I was miserable. He said, dude, I was miserable living that lifestyle. And he said, you know, I was just like 
You know, other people who don't know how to live to please God, I thought if I just did more of it, or if I did it with somebody else, or if I did it a different way, then maybe I would hit the magic button and then life would be good for me. But you know, it doesn't work like that. Never happened for him, doesn't happen for anybody. And then after another relational tsunami, he started dating a woman for whom pleasing God was more important than fulfilling her passionate lust. And she did not invite him to bed. She invited him to church. <laughs> the church where she was serving. And he came in fear and trembling. And he heard Pastor Ken Philbeck preach a sermon that I mean hit him in the heart like a ball-peen hammer. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit came down on him like an anvil. And he repented of his sins and put his faith in Jesus and humbled himself and was baptized into Christ. And he started the adventure of living to please God every single day. And he told me that was nine years ago, man, and God has just blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed. He said after an appropriate courtship, he was able to marry that woman. And bro, you married way over your head and you know it. You know who you are. You married way up, bro, all right? You know that's true. And now they've got this thriving marriage. They're in a thriving business together. They serve in our church together. He told me that sent he told me that he found the greatest joy of his life since he quit living for passionate lust and started living to please the Lord. And that's what we want for you. That's what we want for all of you. Now, let me say a word to our students today. I am so sorry that you are going to grow up in a culture where you will hear that sexual purity before marriage is unreasonable and that you are somehow so pathetic that you are powerless to control the desires of your body. Because, my friend, that is not true. It's insane. I mean, the very same people who will tell you, you can say no to crack, say no to meth, say no to oxy, will tell you it's impossible to say no to sexual desire. That is such a demeaning view of a human being. Thank God it's not true. Amen? And listen, the fact that you have so many friends and teachers and celebrities and athletes that say the same godless thing, that doesn't make it true either. I'll tell you what I'm praying. I am praying and teaching and investing in the youth culture of our church and our compassionate Christian students so that they will become spiritual leaders in their schools, so that they will be wise and kind and stand against these cultural lives even if they have to stand alone. Amen? Amen. I mean, dude, if you want to emulate somebody, be like Esther. Uh, be like Esther, beautiful woman, unfairly assigned to the harem of a ruthless king, and yet she chose to live to please God. She refused to compromise her values, and because she was so faithful, God elevated her, promoted her to the highest place of influence. Why? Because that gutsy girl chose to please God. Brother, if you want to emulate somebody, emulate Joseph. I mean, Joseph, a strong, handsome, brilliant young man who goes through all kinds of unfair trials in his life. You know what his goal was? To please the Lord. Consequently, when he's 27 years old, he's still a virgin. And when this powerful, beautiful woman starts putting the sexual moves on him, you know what he said? How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against my God. And because he was so faithful, God promoted him again and again and again. And friends, I'm telling you, I've spent a lot of time with students over the years. I heard a guy say one time, Pastor, I'm just telling you, man, 
When I get in the moment with my girlfriend, whoo, it's just about impossible for me to stop. And the youth coach said, really? Impossible? Let's say you're sitting on the couch with your girlfriend at her house. Everybody's gone. It's just you two. You're sitting on the couch watching a movie alone, and it starts getting hot. And it starts getting passionate. I'm talking about real passionate. And then all of a sudden you hear a car door slam, and your girlfriend says, oh, no, it's my parents. They've come home early. Can you stop? Well, I guess so. <laughs> it kind of depends on who you listen for, amen? And if you listen for the voice of God, that should be louder than a car door, amen? Because you have the Holy Spirit in you. You absolutely do have the Holy Spirit. You have the ability to control your passions, whatever they may be. But the fruit of the Spirit's presence in your life is that he is building, building, building this self-control. Hey, listen to what Paul wrote to his friends in the city of Corinth. He said, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Here comes the hope. And that is what some of you were. Were. Everybody say were. were. Everybody say used to was. No, I'm just kidding. I don't even, don't even go there, all right? But I mean, isn't that the beautiful thing? That is what you used to be like. That's the lifestyle you were involved in. That's the vortex that you were stuck in. That's the tide that was carrying you away. That's the sinkhole that you were drowning in. That's what you were. And then you met Jesus. And dude, you were washed and sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He loves you. He can forgive you, cleanse you. He wants to empower you to please him. And I'm telling you, man, good things come to those who wait. I heard a story this week about a flight attendant, beautiful woman. She just, you know, she, she had this jerk up in first class who was just flirting with her through the whole flight. And just to get away from him, she went back to work at the back half of the airplane. And believe it or not, it just must not have been her day. There was a guy on the back of the plane hitting on her through the whole flight as well. And then when she gets off the airplane, the goon up in first class hands her the key to his condo and his address and says, see you tonight. And when the joker from the back of the plane came by, she handed it to him and said, don't be late. <laughs> there are creative ways to control yourself if you want to. Amen. If you want to please God, you can find a way to do it, all right? Now, there's a lot more we could talk about in chapter 4, but we're just going to have to fly to get through this tonight. All right, look at verse 9 and 10. This is an identifying attitude that's pleasing to God. Your overflowing love. Everybody say, overflowing love. Overflowing. Look what Paul says in verse 9. Now, about brotherly love, we don't even need to write to you because you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. That's what I love about this church. Our church is just the most loving church I've ever been a part of. All my friends tell me that when they come here. You just overflow in your love. It's awesome. But friends, you do know that love counts the most when it is the hardest to show. And we've talked over and over and over again about the fact that these Thessalonian Christians were being persecuted, but apparently a hostile culture did not determine the attitude of the church. Jesus did. And they learn from Jesus that an attitude of love is what really pleases the Lord. You know, I was at a National Day of Prayer meeting uh, in front of the Chatham County Courthouse a few years ago. 
And, you know, on May the 5th, the people, you know, all over the country get together at the courthouse and they pray for our country. And so I was doing that. And there was a bunch of compassion Christians there and a bunch of believers were there. And this particular year, a group of hecklers came. Now, they showed up with big obnoxious signs and outrageous outfits and mocking attitude. And they're just trying to be a distraction. And I'm thinking, that's all right, free country man, knock yourself out. Ironically, though, while they tried to distract us, one of the girls got overheated and she started to pass out. And the Christians caught her and gave her one of their seats and started fanning her. Some Christian brought her a bottle of water to get her all cooled off. Her heckling friends didn't do a thing for her. It was the followers of Jesus that she came to heckle that actually showed the compassion of Jesus to her. And you know, I think Paul wanted to encourage the Thessalonian church. Look at verse 10. He says, in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia, through the whole country. And yet we urge you brothers to do it more and more and more. Because I'm telling you, man, that loving attitude makes a huge difference. And the more you show it, the more you please the Lord. And then look at verses 11 and 12. Paul says, a dynamic arena for pleasing your God is your workplace. Now, I wish I had time to unpack this. Well, I actually had the time. I just didn't use it right. So here we are at the end, okay? But look what he wrote in verse 11. Make it your ambition. Make it your desire to lead a quiet life. Mind your own business. Work with your hands so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. Now, we have been called by Jesus to take his good news to the world. And let me tell you, one of the mistakes that any generation of Christ followers could make is to be content to come and gather here at the church and learn, 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 study, 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 soak it up, soak it up, soak it up, and never do anything about it. Jesus didn't say, I want you to go to church and hear the gospel. He said, I want you to go to church, get the gospel, and take it out into the world and declare the gospel. I mean, look, the dark side would love it if we just kept our faith private and we only talked about Jesus inside the walls of these buildings. But that does not please the Lord. Man, we come to church to wise up and fuel up and then go out into the world ready to share the love and truth that we learned here with people who desperately need it out there, many of whom will reject it the first time they hear it. And a year later... They'll be your brother and sister in Christ. But to pull that off, you got to have credibility. Paul says, lead a quiet life. Man, look, keep your mouth and your temper under control. In the world, everybody just blows. You keep your mouth and temper under control. Mind your own business, Paul says. Don't be meddling in everybody else's stuff. You get your work done. Work with your hands, he says. You know, in the Greek world, manual labor was considered degrading. That's slaves' work. Paul is saying, don't be too proud to work with your hands. And don't look down on anybody who does. Now, friends, we really can't please God or impress people with the gospel until we have earned the right to be heard by sexual purity and unconditional love and hard-working followers of Jesus. And according to Paul, this is God's will for you. And now you know. Did you hear about the uh, captain of the Navy? They called him up on the bridge in the middle of the night. And they said, Cap, take a look at this. And there was some lights way off on the horizon, but they were approaching fast. And so the captain grabbed the microphone and said, unidentified vessel, you're on our path. Alter your course 10 degrees. And the reply came back, you alter your course 10 degrees. He said, I'm Captain McGregor of the U.S. Navy. Alter your course 10 degrees. The lights, you know, were getting a little dangerous. And, and they got a voice back over the radio saying, I'm Ensign Richards of the U.S. Coast Guard. You alter your course 10 degrees. And I mean, they're getting closer and closer. And the captain just jutted his jaw and said, I'm an aircraft carrier. Alter your course 10 degrees. And the voice came back, I'm a lighthouse. Alter your course 10 degrees. (laughs) You know, 
Now, let me tell you, our culture is just jutting its jaw saying, I'm not altering my course. I will not change. I got influence. I got power. I got intellect. I got culture on my side. But, you know, you kind of want to say, look at the sorry shape of our world. How's it working for you? I mean, how's it working for you? But my friend, our God is the rock of ages and he is on the horizon and he does not change. Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. And Paul is saying the best way for us to please God and prepare for his return is to talk about what you believe and then demonstrate it by being sexually pure, brotherly loving, hardworking followers of Jesus. And this is God's will for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity we've had to unpack this passage that, you know, is kind of a, a cold bucket of water when we live in a culture like this. And yet, and yet, it is the path to peace and joy and fruit and life and, Lord, eternal joy. And I pray, God, that we will throw our hearts into pleasing you first. And then, Lord, as we live with the benefit of that, people in our culture will see that difference and be drawn to the Christ they see in us. And we pray this in his strong name and all God's people said, amen, <clears throat> amen, amen. amen.